What's going on? Is that your computer? Is it about to blow up? Brent's computer's blowing up. Oh my God, he put it together wrong. This is what, oh, yep. All right, what is up, Crypto Basic peeps? Crypto Basic bitches, it's Brent. I'm here with Adam. Ruthless Levy. Yes. And jeez, wow. man. I didn't use my full name. No, so. I, I you just kind of abruptly stopped. I feel like you usually say that or something and and I, was I felt like I had to, you know, Mad Libs this or well, I guess, yeah, fill in the blank. I feel like Mad Libs is how you came up with your middle name. You were just like, <laughs> okay, let's see. Adjective. No, I, I just was signing up for an xbox live account and i guess i smoked weed that night so i started thinking of really like let's think of the coolest way to spell certain words and then yeah <laughs> i just put it on there and then i'm when i opened my poker stars account i just used that as well because i was like i just want to play and didn't think of you know the consequences of people just start like calling me it like fucking 15 years later but hey it's kind of cool but- you're you're pretty much that that's you now so what that's you what is us us is the crypto basic podcast this is our weekly news breakdown of the stuff that we found that was interesting uh give you a little preview we've got of course our rapid fire section but we're talking a lot about the irs and how they're handling u.s crypto transactions so sorry non-us listeners there's a part of our show on that we're going to talk about ethereum's legality problems for libra big story about hearthstone streaming and how that affects crypto that's going to be pretty cool and then i actually depending on our timing i'd like to talk about a poker related story we're going to keep it at the end of the show but there it's been so interesting to i've been getting a lot of questions from people outside of the poker world and i know we have a lot of intersection with our audience and doug polk who's used to be big in crypto i guess doesn't give a shit about crypto anymore he is at least in the middle of this whole thing so there's enough a tie, a, a tie-in that I thought it might be interesting to talk about. So that'll be the last thing we talk about before we go on to like the mailbag. So you can skip that at the end of the show if you don't want it. All right. So that being said, it is time for the most rapid thing that we do on a daily basis, the rapid fire section. Yes, here we are. It's rapid. It's fast. It's fiery. Uh, What is the rapid fire section, Adam? Well, rapid fire section is uh, where we go through five uh, little news pieces from throughout the week. They're relevant to people that we've talked about in the past or just, you know, fun little. Sometimes it's just like some crazy story. Quick bites of the news. Stuff that doesn't need a deep dive. Yeah. This is just the quick, the quickness. All right. Yes. So the first one is UNICEF, you know, the, uh, the big children, the children's organization there, they donate to, you know, hunger and just, they're just, I've just seen them a lot, especially on like, you know, soccer jerseys <laughs> over the yeah. years. They're Barcelona. Nation International Children's Emergency Fund. Yes. That's what it is. It's for the kids, Adam. It's for, for the kids. kids. But now they are they're launching a crypto fund, which is pretty exciting, to be honest. They can now receive, hold, and disperse donations of Ether and Bitcoin 
They're funding open source technology benefiting children and young people around the world. So I think this is cool. What do you think about this, Brent? Might be more important than you're thinking because think about like what UNICEF would would try to do. We're talking about kids in Venezuela and stuff like that, like kids in really countries that their currency is destroyed or their economy is destroyed. That's how they get in these positions. And if UNICEF is helping there, it's going to be a little bit easier for them to help if they have crypto, especially if it holds its value compared to whatever the local currency is it's even better for the kids. So I'm all about doing things for the kids. I actually, as you start talking about that, I remember the old commercials that would come up and it'd be this tan, maybe South American kid that seemed like he was in, you know, a little tank top. And then they'd be playing this really sad music. And then there'd just some guy come up and be like, you can donate for $1 a day or a quarter. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Basically, if I can donate to stuff like that using crypto, you know, maybe I can finally use Doug, my, my Doge coin for something. Doge. Doge. Coin. Doge. I'll never get it right. Well, it's one, like, you can't use Doge. They specifically said they're only using Bitcoin and Ethereum. Well, maybe I'll just like convert. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they should be taking Doge, though. That is a punt because they would have more donations if they opened themselves up to the Doge community. Yes. All right. Uh, now the next little bite is a tweet by Key Rook, aka that's his Twitter handle, Kevin Rook, um, and he posted the medium median U.S. income by year uh, from 2013 to 2018, and he then converted that to Bitcoin. So in 2013. It was 286 Bitcoin. And, you know, 2014, 102, 2015, it was 207 Bitcoin. So it went up and down. Then now in 2018, it is eight Bitcoin. So I just thought that was interesting. And there's a chart attached to it. What do you think about yep. that? So our salaries are going down dramatically based on the future that we believe that we are going to be in. So it's even worse than you think it is with your salaries being stagnant. And yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of cool to look at, but obviously we know this, like this is if you just like in, in your head, you're like, Oh, how many like Bitcoin is the average salary? What is interesting is that it even went down even from 2017, 2018, when you're thinking like bear market, an interesting little fact, interesting little fact. I I know that it it is, you know, obvious if you think about it, but sometimes you actually need to think about it. No. Yeah, you, we don't do a whole lot of thinking. I don't know about you, or I don't. I say we. I don't. Maybe you do. All right, next next nugget. Give us the next nugget, Adam. All right. Well, v- Vitalik Buterin actually spoke out at DevCon Five, which is like the kind of. Do, do you know how to exactly what DevCon Five is? Because I feel like it's like a hacker uh, conference. That's DevCon. They're they're different. So DevCon would be oh, like a for, okay. developer version. DevCon is the one where like when they come to town, the all the hotels in Vegas and stuff are warned that people are gonna like try to hack them. And <laughs> like they do like annoying stuff. Like the to the point where I think they've been kicked out of a couple cities. I don't know. Like the basically like DevCon 
is a bunch of people who can do hacking getting together and then very often some weird stuff occurs. So anyway, no, this is DevCon. This is different, Adam. This, this is, is a, an annual gathering held by the Ethereum Foundation. So yes. yeah, it's just basically like, you know, all the big the big guys in Ethereum come together and they talk about, you know, where they're where they're going, uh how things are going. And in this on this particular talk, Vitalik claimed that Ethereum will be more secure than Bitcoin after it moves to proof of stake over the next few years. Interesting. Yeah. And he says, you know, they're kind of explaining a little bit about proof of stake in the article, just introduces a system where validators can be questioned. So you can then, there are challengers. So you can challenge a block for being illegitimate. Hasn't Ethereum been talking about proof of stake for years at this point? Ethereum 2.0 has been a long time coming. I've given up on any sort of like idea of a date in my mind as to what it is. What's funny is there might even be a date now because they dates come out all the time. And eventually I was just like, all right, I'm not even going to bother listening to this anymore because they're just making stuff up at this point. Like they don't know when it's going to come out. They yeah. know they're working on it. So they're, they keep coming up with dates. That's why I like the way Charles and, and Cardano and, you know, the IOHK do their roadmaps, which is just like this thing's coming. We're this percent complete with it. It's coming. Like there's no date until it's done and ready for launch. So yeah, uh, and he went on to say this is how attacks on the blockchain can be more expensive. Like if someone really wants to bring the network down, they have they would have to create a lot of malicious blocks, and to do so, they'd have to like have a huge amount of ether as collateral, and then they they could lose it if challenged with proof of stake. So it's like. Even if they still try to hack, like they could still, you know, let's say they try the old ways of hacking. They, they need a lot. And then on top of that, someone may notice that there's some irregularity of an, you know, and there are Ill- illegitimate blocks. So there's some kind of negative incentive to attack. Like, we, I don't understand exactly what this is. You don't understand exactly what this is. But we're going to take Vitalik's word for it. And he's saying it's going to be more secure. I don't know if it's going to be more secure than Bitcoin, but I can actually... He's just trying to say it's going to be more secure than proof of work. It yeah. may be more secure than Ethereum's proof of work. I don't know. We'll see. We have to see when it comes out. But there's a negative incentive to attack the network, basically. There always is a little bit of a negative incentive. But it sounds like they're going to make it harder to attack the network and way less worth your time, which is good. Yes. And then one of the biggest characters in the crypto <laughs> this space. This story. Like, I read this. This can't be real. <laughs> John McAfee started a decentralized crypto exchange with no restrictions. And he's calling it the McAfee. uh, How do you say his last name? John McAfee. McAfee. But it's like, yeah, the MCO. Yeah. So John McAfee, he, it's calling it the Mac. Mac (laughs) Jesus Christ. All right. So he's calling it the McAfee Dex, the, you know, decentralized exchange. And it's going to be completely uh, running on. It's going to be running on the Ethereum blockchain. No KYC, which is know your customer, you know, and that's like you know where you have to just fill out all these forms, put your passport or whatever in order to just use an exchange. It's open in beta right now. Only ERC twenty tokens, and nothing on the exchange will ever be monitored, recorded, or restricted. So, 
Yeah. Great. Uh, I mean, it's not out yet, but, you know, awesome. I can't wait to use the McAfee decks. <laughs> and, like, it, <laughs> I, he still is going to lose his penis. So I don't know. Like, you know, he's, he said $3 million, I think, was Bitcoin's price by the end of 2020. And that means that if it's not, he will be eating. Well, eating his dick. So I don't know what his like what thing he has named his dick because we don't know. We, I'm pretty sure he's not going to chop that off. But no, no, no. You are overlooking a very important fact: is there is a typo in that tweet. And he didn't oh, actually. Right. He didn't actually say dick. He said, "I now predict Burcoin." Oh, that's what he said. I now predict Burcoin at one million dollars, which is funny because it's a fat finger typo, but. Yeah. I mean, has somebody created the Burcoin fork yet? I wonder. Someone should. They need to. Yes. And then it would be worth a million dollars a coin by the time. That yeah. way we can catch McAfee. It needs to be pegged to the value of Bitcoin. That's what it needs to be. There you go. So, so he can't manipulate the price. <laughs> we need a stable coin called Burcoin that is pegged to the value of Bitcoin, Adam. That's what we need. Yeah, I'm surprised no one's done that yet. We need it to solidify what's going to happen to McAfee's penis. All right. So that is it for the rapid fire section. And this is where we're going to take a minute to talk about Wild Foods. Wild Foods is the official sponsor of the Crypto Basic Podcast at the moment. And they have a really awesome set of products, suite of products. They have everything from coffee to mushrooms to salts. Now, what they have is a lot of single-ingredient foods. A couple of the things like the Cocotropic is something that they've created that's a proprietary blend of the mushrooms. Adaptogenic mushrooms are a thing that are kind of sweeping through the land at this point. They're actually hard to find, and they're really hard to find properly, professionally sourced mushrooms. You can be confident that if you order from Wild Foods that they have done the painstaking part of the sourcing for you and that they have gone and done it responsibly. And usually with a small farm somewhere in the world. So check them out. Grab some of those mushrooms. I know they work for me. Kareem said they work for him when he actually you know came on the show. But they are they're definitely cool additives. We got you twelve percent off if you use the code Crypto Basic twelve on Wild Foods website, and they're helping keep the show afloat. So without any further delays. Let's get to the big stories this week. Let's talk about Hearthstone pulling some bullshit. First, what what is Hearthstone, Adam? Oh, yeah. So Hearthstone is a digital card game. Me and Brent, we know each other by playing Magic, which is, you know, just a physical card game. But they Hearthstone is owned by Blizzard. And they basically saw what Magic was doing and decided they were going to create it in digital form. And honestly, they knocked it out of the park years ahead of Magic. Magic never did it until a few years ago. And now they're doing fine. But not even not even a few years ago, like last year. Yeah, like like Hearthstone's been around for six, seven years or something crazy at this yeah. point. And so they have a very large following. They have pretty solidified you know tournaments and and you know there's a lot of things you know they have something called the hearthstone grandmaster tournament i think and in this particular tournament 
there was a Taiwanese player named Blitz Chung. It's actually, I like that name. It's pretty cool. He spoke out against Hong Kong. No, he spoke out against China. Sorry. He was talking about Hong Kong. The quote was, liberate Hong Kong, revolution of our age. You know, and he was wearing a gas mask in the Twitch interview. Which is a symbol of the protesters because they have to hide their faces from facial recognition because you can be arrested just for protesting. Yeah. So you can go on Twitter and see the video. They, They actually deleted it from their account. And then someone else obviously grabbed it and it's just up. And so the fallout of that was this guy, he did well in the tournament. And then they took his prize money, Blizzard banned him from they yeah they took his prize money they banned him from future tournaments it's just been a massive fallout with blizzard a lot of people have been kind of boycotting them saying no longer going to play these games so before we get into the result here i promise this is going to be blockchain related when we get to the result but i just want to put this into perspective blizzard is a u.s company they're a publicly traded u.s company in fact you own some of their stock so, or at least the, uh, you used to. I don't know if you still do. Yeah, at some point. You, okay, so that I so we can put that bias out there. So we're even saying this bad stuff, which in theory, you know, that you could still own the stock on. But they, for some reason, went balls to the wall on hurting this guy that spoke out against Hong Kong. Now they do have a policy of not using their official streams as something against or as something as a political tool. Like you can't go on there and be like fucking vote for trump 2020 or like impeach trump anything like that they they aren't cool with it it is against their policy however what they did was they took this guy banned him for life from or for no sorry not for life for a year from blizzard tournaments and retroactively took away his prize money that he had already won that had nothing to do with his um with his demonstration and this is a huge, huge problem, and they are doing so because they have a conflict of interest. One, the Chinese market is huge for Blizzard games. They released this whole game. It's not out yet, but it's called Diablo Immortal or whatever. It's a Diablo game, and all the fans were like expecting a Diablo remaster of like Diablo 2 or 3, and they got one of those shitty mobile games where you have to wait a little amount of time before you're like, you, you know, the ones I'm talking about where it's like you build your city and you fight and like you wait time before you can so get like more resources. Kind of the Farmville uh, yes, approach. The, you know, that kind every, of game yeah. where you have to like pay to win basically. And the Chinese eat that shit up. So everybody's like, they literally developed this game for the Chinese market. Nobody gives a shit in the US. And also uh, it was something that I didn't know that you put here is that Tencent which is a Chinese conglomerate has a big stake in Activision, which owns Blizzard. And Tencent also has a big stake in Reddit. There's been some weird Chinese censorship going on on Reddit. So this is all what you think about whether the protesters should be doing it or not. I'm certainly pro Hong Kong liberation. I'm, I'm very proud of what the protesters are doing. And, but the censorship should be something that we as a crypto community are all against. That's why we were, that's why Bitcoin was created. That's what, the one, one of the core values of the community is, and this is uh this is bad. So, if they had come out and just like given this guy a slap on the wrist, if they were just like, "Look, dude, you can't say this stuff. You're banned for a month or two. Didn't take away his previous private money. They could have given him some sort of 
negative repercussion here that wasn't completely out of left field, insane, throwing the book at him, making an example, and it would have just been swept under the rug. So I don't know if they did this on purpose to cause a ruckus, well, but it worked. So I do think that while you're presenting good points about you know censorship, and it is ridiculous, I, I think back to a situation that happened on, on a poker stream a while back. The European Poker Tour, they, they stream on Twitch, they stream on YouTube. They actually tape their own, you know, product for TV in the UK. There was a final table where these guys wore a Save Gaza and Free or Free Gaza Save Palestine shirts. They were both at the final table together. And it kind of created a really weird situation because the commentators are operating semi-live. They're 30 minute delay. So, and then there's Twitch chat. So you're seeing things kind of stream down in the Twitch chat and people are talking about it. And then the Twitch chat's like now getting into it with each other about a political topic that has nothing to do with poker. So I think it's kind of like there's a time and place for these things. And generally, if you're playing a game and you are kind of like these people are putting out a, out a product to then be watched by a lot of other people, you can't really have such divisive takes or, you know, bring politics that far into it. So I get that point. I think he deserves some sort of repercussion. He did not deserve something this to this extent. I think this is kind of ridiculous. It's not his own personal stream. He wasn't just doing his personal stream and talking about what he's doing. Like we can talk about what we think about politics all day long. There's nothing wrong with it. But if I was working for, let's say Coinbase and I was on what I was at a conference where I was a speaker for Coinbase. And at that conference, at the end of the conference, I was like, Viva la Revolution. Like, <laughs> that's like, uh, that would be a problem. So, the, like, I get why there needs to be a repercussion for this person. Like, this is, this is a private company putting on a private event, and he is being there as a representative of that company in, to kind of tacitly because he's participating in the game. But they went so, they went like <laughs> ballistic. They went like, they tried to ruin this guy intentionally to make an example so that nobody else would do this. Like he knew there would be consequences. There's no way he didn't think doing that would bring consequences either from the company itself or from the people who exist in the world that are pro China. What he did was in theory, pretty brave because now he has a target on his back for anybody who is pro China. I mean, that is a super divisive piece of the world right now that's happening. He, was not within his rights to use his free speech at that point. So like, we don't like censorship, but he needed to be told he couldn't do that. But like, he didn't need to be completely wrecked for it. It was an overreaction. And there's been some fallout. Sorry, we'll, we'll go on to the, the blockchain part, but I yeah, that's where to... there's the crypto connection here, guys. A guy who's been a magic player forever and he kind of became a Hearth- Hearthstone streamer or caster. He ended up kind of. Everyone was asking him about the topic, uh, and then he ended up saying, you know, I'm not going to stream the BlizzCon, the big event, you know, coming up anymore. And he, he it, it became an international incident, basically. Yeah. You know, it, and, it, and it, Barbara Streisand effect, like the fact that they acted so ridiculous about this has now put a spotlight on it. If you go check out the subreddit on Blizzard subreddit or Activision subreddit, it's just posts like fuck Blizzard, fuck Activision, all that stuff. I don't play Hearthstone. I don't play World of Warcraft. I don't play Diablo. I never will play those games now. And in fact, Blizzard will never get any of my money. 
and nor will anything that's related to Activision once I figure out that Activision is currently running them. I am totally going to vote with my money here and show my displeasure for this. I'm, I'm, I met the CEO of Blizzard once or a while back, Mike Morham. He doesn't work there anymore, but he's such a nice guy. Like, I'm, yeah, well, you know, but yeah, this is. If he worked there and he was still a nice guy, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Maybe it's like somebody needed to put their foot down. There was a walkout at Blizzard headquarters with the employees. They were sick of it. So, you know, you don't take this out on the the actual employees if you happen to run into them. But fuck Chinese censorship. That's the South Park thing from last night. Or, or no, so sorry. Fuck the Chinese government. That's it. It was the four word for it. Fuck the Chinese government. That's they were all over that. It's been hilarious to follow what's happening with South Park in China. This is just too big a topic right now to not really give it time, even on this podcast. Because yeah, especially when crypto is just about you know not being censored and decentralization. Yeah, decentralization. And I suggest any listeners out there actually take my exact stance on this and quit playing WoW Classic if you're playing it. Uh, quit playing Hearthstone if you're playing it. And what is a good alternative to Hearthstone? We're about to tell you. Yes, it is Gods Unchained, which Brent has been you know, playing here and there, right? Uh, I've only played it a couple times, but I literally just built my computer yesterday. Watch so out. One of the, I was having an issue streaming on the... I have a very good laptop. It's a Surface Book 2, but it was running into, like, issues streaming. Like, I was basically straining it. It's very good for everything that I normally do, except... And it can do gaming fine, but it wasn't handling gaming and streaming at the same time. So I built a rig. I actually was, do, I was like, kind of live streaming my building of it in Discord in the off-topic section i was getting input from the community like hey what should i get here like blah blah blah. so anyway first of all proud of myself i built it hit the power button and turned on the first time and installed windows right away i was i've never i built like four computers maybe i it's not like it's like a hobby i've just built them over my life i've never turned it on have functioned the right way the first time i just i've always got to go back in and like fix something but nope, this was uh, first time. Anyway, so yeah, I suspect I will do a little <laughs> bit more streaming, especially now. I want to support Gods Unchained for this move. So I, because I didn't, I kind of talked a little bit of shit about their game. I was like, it's a Hearthstone knockoff with a couple of different upgrades or whatever. Now I'm happy they're fucking knocking off Hearthstone. So I'm going to probably stream that more. So you, uh, we have like, I don't know, 50 subscribers on our Twitch channel or something like that. So subscribe to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash crypto basic. And I will be on there and I'll try to get Adam to go on there sometimes too. Yeah. And so basically gods unchanged reached out to blitz blitz chung and they will reimburse him for his lost winnings, which I think amounted to $10,000 and will invite him to their upcoming $500,000 tournament. That's also another reason to get good at gods unchained. And they went on to say that Blizzard will exploit their players if it is in their immediate financial interest and how Gods and Change has built uncensorable items with an open economy and market. And, uh, you know, this is definitely one of those savvy PR moves, I'd say. You see an opportunity, it kind of aligns. People say you're kind of a Hearthstone knockoff. Well, look, Hearthstone's in the news. With this crazy incident, why don't you try to reach in there and you know slide into uh, Blitzchung's DMs and get a uh, a new player out of it? Yeah, they're not they're not even attaching it to like a deal. They're not like, hey, sign with us, be a player that represents us, and we'll give you this money. They're just like, no, dude, you can have. We're gonna give you your money. Like we think this is bullshit. Here's ten thousand dollars or whatever he he was actually supposed to get, 
And if you'd like, you can participate in our tournament where you could win more money in a game that's super similar that you're probably going to be good at if you give it five minutes of your time. Yeah. And that is, that's a huge, obviously it's a PR move. Obviously it's also working because we're talking about it and we're happy about it. And, uh, I, yeah. I'm, the 500K tournament makes me want to at least give Gods and Chain a shot. I, I downloaded it, but I kept having issues or not, it's not even downloading. It's like, you know, you're using MetaMask or something to get on to it, yeah. but I, <laughs> it wouldn't, it wouldn't let me log in and, and I just kind of gave up after a bit. It, okay. I, I, I can get you past that also. I'm not going to be able to stream until I get my meta. I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk about this at the end of the show because the Patreon people are still waiting on their tokens. <laughs> but even though I had my engine, uh, I, I got my engine private keys or whatever. I forgot that I did the engine paired with MetaMask. And my MetaMask seed phrase is back home in Fort Myers. So, And my dad just had surgery. So I was going to get to this at the end of the episode, but now it's going to get to it now because why not? My dad just had surgery. So I'm waiting for him to like be okay. to be like, hey, dad, I need you to go here. Use this code, open this, find the piece of paper that has this written on it, and read it to me. <laughs> like <laughs> walking him through that. So anyway, yeah. Sorry. So that's when I'll start streaming again. And the last thing on on this topic is Gaz and Shane then was hit by cyber attacks after speaking out against Chinese censorship. Uh, of course they were. Boy, hopefully they don't uh, do any sort of attack on the blockchain. They, I, I feel like. The whatever I mean, but God's Unchained is on Ethereum, so I guess they can't really attack Ethereum successfully. So that's fine. Um, yeah, of course they got DDoS or whatever. It, <laughs> uh, whatever. Like I said, I am totally on board with with fuck the Chinese government. And Kareem is all he's not here today, obviously, but he tweeted for the first time in like four months about this. Kareem does not use Twitter. He, he has followers because like when we've done things on the podcast, people have ended up following him, but he doesn't, he doesn't tweet. And he said, he's literally never giving Blizzard or Activision a second of his money or a second of his time ever again. Never watch a streamer, uh, blah, blah, blah. So this is, yeah. uh, yep. Anyway, moving on. I actually did tweet yesterday. I haven't tweeted in a while. And my tweet was that ballers is the best show ever to have. Gotta watched. have not. You just like half watch it. It's not the best, however. Yeah. It's a great show to be like, you know what? I'm going to kind of watch it. And occasionally there'll be some good music, maybe some hot women, cool cars. And occasionally I'll be like, oh, what's going on in this sports soap opera? That Yeah. Entourage won me over in the scene where, <laughs> where, where Terrell Suggs is in a bathroom, just like smashing a hooker. <laughs> and The Rock walks in on him. And he's like, Oh, hey, look, I need you for something. He's like, dude, I'm busy. And he's like, no, I kind of need you. And he's like, what the? And he's just, anyway, great show. That was Ballers. You said Entourage, but it's like basically the same thing. Oh, yeah. I meant meant Ballers. Obviously, we're talking about Ballers. Yeah. Yeah. So very similar. Brent, do you want to talk about uh, your your favorite company, the IRS? Yeah, let's switch from, uh, let's switch from a, you know, overseas talking about China, Hong Kong, that could have been in our crypto around the world. And we're going to talk about the U.S. We're talking about the IRS putting out an FAQ on virtual currency in their transactions. I went through, I pulled out what I felt like was the most pertinent information. I'll go through it kind of quickly. Obviously, I'm not a tax professional, so I don't know how some of this stuff works, but it's being treated as property for tax purposes. You must recognize capital gains uh, or losses on your sale of virtual currency. If you hold it, it's fine. Now, I didn't read anything about like-kind exchanges, but it looks... I, I don't think you can switch virtual one virtual currency for another without realizing your gains. 
because specifically it was excluded from like kind of exchanges years ago, a couple years ago. Could you, uh, could you explain the light kind exchange? Yeah. So uh, light kind of change got switched around, but basically it used to be like, if you sold one house and immediately bought another house with the money that you bought from house one, you didn't have to realize capital gains of house one because you're trading house one into house two, which is the same kind of thing. And it was current, it was applying to virtual currency. So as long as you didn't turn it into USD, you could trade Bitcoin for Ethereum and it was not triggering a taxable event. They stopped that a couple of years ago. So it did trigger taxable events. Nothing in here looks like that is going back. So still you change Bitcoin into Ethereum. You've created a taxable event for yourself. In my understanding, if you hold it for a year, you have to pay long-term gains. If you hold it for less than a year, you have to pay short-term short-term are more expensive than long-term gains. I believe, you know what? I might even be wrong on that. So don't, uh, whatever, just, that's how it's treated. Look that up. No, I think that's right. <clears throat> um, gain or loss is based, of course, on U.S. dollars because we're talking about it being in the United States. You you get to include all fees that you incur to get the coins in your cost basis for them. I It's unclear if you can include like network fees. So if you need to transfer Bitcoin here to there, if you have to pay a dollar or two be a, a worth of Bitcoin in a transaction fee, it's unclear whether you get to claim that or not. Um, but it does say fees, so I suspect all fees, even blockchain-specific fees, are going to be involved. If you get paid in virtual currency, it is income. Uh, you're And also, paying somebody in virtual currency means you have to recognize your gain or loss on that virtual currency is the same as selling it for USD. They talk about the fair market value a lot of crypto, and they have different ways that you can determine the fair market value on things. But figuring out the fair market value on crypto is a little bit tough because of... There's some reporting discrepancies, but I'm sure a professional will be able to tell us that. In fact, if you happen to be a tax professional, come on the show. So there, there were a couple of people that we turned down because it was clear they were just shilling their like tax preparation services. But I honestly, some, I met some guy a while back at the crypto conference that I could. Uh, we could yeah, reach out, we could, yeah, reach out to that guy. We'll get somebody on the show to talk about this. I mean, the if you filed an extension, our next show is going to be out past that. But anyway, um. If you don't receive a coin, oh, sorry. So hard forks are, are we're going to talk about the the uh, the uh, problem with the hard fork situation later. But right now, in a hard fork, if you don't get a coin in a hard fork for whatever reason, then you don't have income. If you do get coins in a hard fork, then you do have income. Soft forks produce no value. That would be like uh, you know going. The soft fork is when the old chain is abandoned and the new one is held you don't now have like two coins in that situation um so they're considered ordinary income not capital gains there's a different tax bracket thing on those and you're supposed to base the value on the day that you can actually sell or transfer the forked coin so it's like if you got bitcoin cash on whatever that day was the day after when you're able to actually sit the if you're able to sell it right away, then the day after is when you could actually when you had to come up with the value. If you get paid for something with no market value, or I'm sorry, if you pay for something with no mark with a coin with no market value. So like I give Adam some some basic Bitcoin, which we have. It's it's floating around somewhere. If I give Adam some basic Bitcoin and he gives me anything in return, I now have to realize a gain based on what he gave me rather than what I gave him. So if I get his headphones from him for giving him some basic Bitcoin, I now have to claim gains on the headphones that he gave me in their fair market value. Uh, gifts are not taxable. Bonafide gifts are not taxable income. 
but they do have a value placed on them when you give them. So I give you one Bitcoin today. It is worth whatever the Bitcoin price is today. Actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to give you that much, but let's say I give you half of 0.1 Bitcoin. That would be 800 and change. So if you sold that one Bitcoin, you would gain or lose money based on the value of the day that I gave it to you. And uh, transfers between your own wallets do not cause a realization of gains. And there are some problems. Here's the biggest thing. The, the hard fork thing is a weird thing that they've done. It's a point of contention. So if you get a hard fork, you have a taxable event. It, and they also say that in order to be considered having the hard fork. So if you do a hard fork where, like, in theory, those coins are there, but I never had the private key to that wallet, then they're not mine. So if you have the public and private keys, that means that you own those coins. So in theory, there's this weird little tax liability attack you can cause on somebody in the United States based on this law. You can fork a coin that they own, and then you can send them the private keys to those wallets or whatever. Or you can even fork any coin and send them the private keys and public keys, and now they have that coin. And if it has any value, they have to pay taxes on it. So it's it's an interesting, weird thing that you could do to somebody based on this. I, I suspect if anybody actually did that, I'm hoping, I, I suspect, I'm hoping that reasonable heads would prevail and they would say, oh, this is obviously not like something we would tax. But crypto anarchy is definitely a place where people are seeing all the angles and they see this as a thing. So we'll see. Uh, I think Jameson Lopp originally pointed that out on Twitter. We have a link to an article that talks about it in the show notes. But that is... I, I know it was boring, guys, but I wanted to talk about it because it came out, and it, I'm sure there's lots of questions. Feel free to throw them in the Discord. I'll try to answer them. It's Again, necessary. You yeah. know, it's as boring as it is. It is necessary to talk about this. It's, yeah. the, first, uh, the, link- it's the first time in, since 2014 that the IRS has put anything out regarding crypto guidance. Yeah. They've done a like they've done these weird like talks where they talk about what might be and that might not be, and they do these weird <laughs> things, but this is actually an FAQ. Uh, you, it's on irs.gov slash individuals. Well, you know what? It's slash international dash taxpayers slash frequently dash ask dash question dash on dash virtual dash currency dash transactions. That's where you go to find out about this. I mean, if you actually did say the entire uh, domain, like, you know, website. I did. Completely correctly. That is impressive. Maybe unnecessary, but but impressive. Yeah, it certainly wasn't necessary. All right. I'm done with I'm done with this. I want to learn about more legality stuff because we love talking about legality on this show. Is Ethereum legal, Adam? Uh, that was actually just a rhetorical question, but it is an interesting article that I read uh, with a with a talk at DevCon Five yet again from one of the other big heads at in Ethereum, Vlad Zamfir, and I got. I forget what exactly what his role is, but I know that he's just very high high up at Ethereum. But he started talking about how it was more of a warning to Ethereum that developers need to start thinking about its legal status rather than hoping it that it, rather than hoping it's you know the fact that it's going to be so disruptive that governments are forced to accept it because governments are powerful. Governments can, yeah. you know, make some moves that could render certain things useless. I'm not necessarily saying that they have it figured out for 
cryptocurrency or anything, or they're not even going to do that. But it is relevant to think about and to just have a to just be so brazen, you know, regarding you know cryptocurrency. Be like, no, it's just going to change the world. But how is it going to? How like what are the steps? How is this going to disrupt these governments? Can these governments, you know, step in? So he was kind of posing this this problem or not maybe not a problem, but just like an issue that could be relevant down the road. He says that Ethereum was born into a counterculture movement, the cypherpunk movement. Do you can you really explain what a cypherpunk is or what the movement was? I know it's like kind of how crypto uh, Bitcoin was created. Yeah, it was like a mailing list uh, and, and a community where they talked about different different forms of they, they were they were trying to create Bitcoin. Like they were talking about ways to get stuff away. Anyway, I, I I didn't look too much. This was all born out of the cypherpunk movement. I don't really know what the cypherpunk movement was all about. I know it was a mailing list. I know they talked about things related to this, and it's posited that Satoshi was certainly part of that group. Yeah. So Vlad Zamfir is the Ethereum Foundation researcher, pretty high up in what he's doing. The issue is smart contracts. Or sorry, I didn't finish the quote from him. But he said, in Ethereum, we went much farther than Bitcoin and said we didn't just want to do this for money, but for everything. And that's great. But the issue is smart contracts are basically an esoteric legal form. It's almost understood as legal contracts. And he went on to ask, how does our anti-legal revolution react with the established legal order? These are, these are good questions to think about. He's talking about posing this question because if blockchain creators keep acting with no respect for the law, it will provoke a reaction from the governments. Yeah, which we're going to talk about. Well, actually, we're not really going to talk about, but well, we're kind of going to talk about. Yeah. He said that there were three scenarios that could happen. One is Ethereum gets co-opted, you know, as in they decide they're, you know, they're going to work together and figure out how they can adopt blockchain and maybe Ethereum bends the knee slightly for certain things and then things go on and all of a sudden it's a lot more efficient for everyone. That's obviously the, the best result. Then it could get regulated, which is like, that's less good, but still fine. And then it could also just get governments can come up with something else similar, maybe not as efficient, but still, you know, they could come up with a centralized system that runs electronic contracts, making payments happen automatically, but it could be faster and cheaper and maybe more tempting to businesses. These are all theoreticals. But that is definitely something that could happen. So I want to sum this up real quick before we before we keep going. This is a developer of Ethereum, or at least somebody who's high up in Ethereum, that's out there giving counter arguments to why Ethereum is going to work, which is interesting to me. I love it when people go out there and talk about the possible negatives of a project or something that they're working on. It shows that they have a level head. He's like, we're not stupid. We haven't not thought about this stuff. Like, we know... That these are possibilities. So I, I think that's an interesting thing to think about from the from a bird's eye view. I like that he's at an Ethereum, you know, summit and talking about this stuff because it, it, it he brings up very good points. You know, I know that we'll say two years ago when everything was booming, you would say, "Oh, it, it, Ethereum's just going to change the world. It's so disruptive. The technology, so you know, ahead of its time." and and governments are going to be useless or whatever. There's, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of. Yeah, I'm not going to say I haven't been a part of that. I, th- that's what I want to see, but it's it's tough. It's a long road. Yes. 
And so then he, he closed the talk by saying, we, as in Ethereum, are disruptive, pretty disruptive, and it's inevitably going to come to a head. What we're doing is too radical revolutionary for the established legal order to ignore. I completely agree. And I think it really does make make you think about the future of Ethereum and governments. And at some point, they could just decide, you know, the Trump administration could just be over it. No, no more crypto. And or like, you know, in the U.S., yeah, maybe there would be an uproar, maybe not. I don't know. It would just be, you know, that that is a possibility that could happen in certain places. Uh, now, could they stop it? Maybe not as much, but, you know, one day they could just say, hey, Americans, if you hold cryptocurrency, you could, you know, that that is illegal. You know, there's a lot of things that, that, that could happen. It also could just be, hey, cryptocurrency is a part of our everyday life because it is really, it has, you know, smart contracts and, and blockchain really help make everything a lot more efficient. We don't know. I agree on all fronts. Like he's making pro points. And ideally, the next thing that we're going to talk about is kind of running point here on like getting people to ignore Ethereum for a little bit longer. Because the longer it's ignored, the more it's hard to get rid of. So. Hopefully, regulators continue to ignore it in the mo, it, like, not, or at least make laws that are pro Ethereum. But like, there's, there's a, there's a world where Ethereum can be involved in legality and everything like that, and be normal and be a part of everyday life. And there's a world where you're on the fringe for even thinking about using. Be- it. Before we move on, I just want to say that there is too, there are too many companies. There's too much money being poured into blockchain. There's too many financial positives, especially the U S government seems like they love money, you know, and they, they love things that will help you make more of it. And I happen to think that blockchain will allow that. So why would you ban something like, well, they also like being able to control the money. So if there's anything that is actually actively taking that control away from them, that is where you might see uh, a crackdown. So it's anyway, look, I'm going to love the fact that we're going to be reporting on this as it comes through all all of its different iterations, because it's going to be interesting to watch no matter what. Yes. So speaking of uh, governments, you know, I'm going to transfer myself here or transition myself here. I don't know why, but talking about governments. We, Mark Zuckerberg, well, you know what? Libra's got a bunch of different problems coming. We've had some of these in the rapid fire section. We decided to make a little Libra section. Maybe we should just make a whole section of the podcast, which is like the, the stupid Libra section. But we have some issues with the original Zuckbucks, not like the uh, the cool Zuckbucks that's actually out there. Mark Zuckerberg has to testify before Congress on Libra's cryptocurrency on October 23rd. And the, the hearing is tentatively called an examination of Facebook and its impact on the financial services and housing sectors. So that's great. Congress doesn't have a lot going on. They got to talk to Mark Zuckerberg about his virtual currency and they are going to do so uh, towards the end of the month here. So we'll definitely report on that when it comes, but they've been facing a lot of backlash. Some people are not about the backlash, Adam. We said that people that all we kind of had so far were some letters for people saying they were going to be on. Well, the lever decided to call a meeting. Of all the people that signed on, the 28 people that signed on saying like, yeah, we're, we're going to be involved in this about the regulation pressure and what's going on. Well, only 27 of the 28 people showed up to the meeting, which I suspect was like a, you know, a conference call or some kind. Maybe it was an actual meeting. I don't know. PayPal didn't show up. They said, fuck it. We're done. 
and PayPal is out of the Libra Foundation now. They have pulled Whoa. their support. Yeah, so now it's down to 27 individuals instead of or 27 companies instead of 28. And PayPal, who has links to David Marcus, you know, like they that would be the last person I expected to pull out, unless like he left the he left PayPal and some sort some sort of a, you know a tizzy or something, and now they hate him. But I suspect he has a lot of respect from the people at PayPal and they were like, nah, we good. We're done. We're out. So the rest of these people went to a meeting. We'll see as Facebook starts to ask more and more of them, if they are going to continue to see people drop out of the possible Libra foundation, which then centralizes the power even more on Facebook, if they go ahead and go forward with it. So I'm sure Facebook doesn't care. They're going to do what they're going to do because they're Facebook. That's basically those two things. And then finally, uh, Tim Apple, of course, Tim Apple, you know, Tim Apple, the CEO of Apple, who is also known as Tim Cook. But be, for, for because I like to be succinct, Adam, and I like to say things in the most direct way and save time, I'm going to call Tim Cook Tim Apple. He slams Libra's power grab is actually the title of the article, but he's actually probably slamming all of crypto a little bit and also taking a dig at Libra. Here's the quote. No, I really think that a currency should stay in the hands of countries. I'm not comfortable with the idea of a private group setting up a competing currency. Cook told the publication in an interview. I, I can't let me see what the publication was. So I actually give them credit. This is BBC. A private company shouldn't be looking to gain power in this way. So he did say he thinks that currencies should stay in the hands of countries. But he also said that a private company shouldn't be getting the power. So he's kind of like anti-crypto a little bit, but more so anti-somebody controlling it, like what's happening with Facebook and Libra. So it's kind of the end of what we got going on there. That's the little the little Libra. We don't have a scam section. No no currencies have, or exchanges have gone under this week that we know of. That's nice. Yay. Although I, I didn't put this in the notes, but... The wife of the guy who faked his death in the Quadriga CX thing is being forced to cough up $9 million, which is nowhere near what he stole. But they at least they're getting a little bit of money back for that. That's interesting to see. We have one mailbag question. I'm going to and then I'm, then we'll talk about the, the, the poker thing. So if you want to hear about the poker thing, stay tuned after the mailbag. Otherwise, honestly, you can you can kill the episode because the poker thing is not even loosely related to crypto. It's just something that we happen to have knowledge on. And enough people have asked us that I feel like it might be an interesting topic for the show. So, and and we're going to only cover it a little bit. We're not going to go really deep into it. Um, so here was the question. Uh, this is kind of interesting. It's from crypto Tony in the, in the discord. I, I had a question on the one-on-one you guys. He's also, by the way, a, a Patreon member. And I, uh, I had a, I had a game key that came with my computer for uh, call of duty, modern warfare. And I went to the Patreon chat and I was like, Hey, does anybody want this game? And he said he wanted it, so he got it. So the, it, it, I, I don't play first-person shooters, so it just came with my video card. Anyway, cool. He had a question on the 101 that we just put out about die. We didn't just put that out, but we did just tweet about it. So I, I use a service called Meet Edgar to tweet about kind of our evergreen stuff. So I never know like when they're they're actually randomly put out there. So I don't know when those come out, but they, but whatever. I, like it's good because a lot of people haven't listened to a lot of those episodes because we put them out a year or two ago. Um, so we put it out about die and he said, surprisingly dies on Coinbase, which I think in the episode, it wasn't yet. My question is if the price of ETH goes up, are you still able to buy back your ETH 
at the original price you took die out at? It seems like a bit of an obvious question, but I just wanted to confirm. So nothing is obvious about creating those pieces of the die technology, right? What I will say, I'll answer this question uh, and I'll do a quick explanation of what you do with die. So when you do, when you create that uh, contract with the die smart contract, you lock up a certain Ethereum and I'm going to make up numbers. So let's say the Ethereum is worth $200 and you put enough in there to get, you lock, you have to lock up a certain amount of Ethereum and then you can pull die out of that Ethereum based on the current price. So if I've pulled $200 worth of die out at a $200 Ethereum price and I've locked up, let's say two Ethereum, I have to pay a premium for that. I don't remember what the actual percentage is now, but let's call it, I don't know, 10%. I have no idea what it is. I'm making this up, but 10%. I'm just using that. Yeah. So let's call it 10%. Uh, so now I am, I owe that smart contract 220 die to unlock my Ethereum. Now I can pay it one of two ways. I can pay it with die or I can pay it with Ethereum. So I locked up two Ethereum. I could unlock some of that Ethereum and transfer it to the smart contract to pay down my balance. That balance is always going to be 220 die to unlock that two Ethereum. If the price of Ethereum drops too low, it's going to automatically sell some of the Ethereum that is not actually borrowed against to compensate for the fact that the price fell too low. And it's at, and it's going to charge you a fee for dropping for having to sell. So you always want to make sure you have enough to cover the the extra. The sell point is based on the total that's locked up. So when I lock up to Ethereum, it's got to fall really low. It's got to fall like 110 or something like that before it'll start liquidating what I have. But I can if the, if the price of Ethereum goes up to $1000 and I have two Ethereum sitting in that smart contract that I have to pay $220 to unlock then I st- I always get that Ethereum back at 220. So I could pay the 220 to unlock the two Ethereum, or I could pay 0.22 Ethereum to unlock it as well. If the vi- if the value of Ethereum is two if is is a thousand dollars, so there are multiple ways you can work with that contract. But the end result is the reason you would want that contract is if you wanted some US dollars, but you wanted to still keep your exposure to Ethereum. And leverage that position. So use it sparingly, but at the same time, I like more having more die in the ecosystem. So it's pretty cool. So that is the that's how that works. You can listen to the to the episode for a little bit more on. So yeah, anyway, that's that's it, and that is the official end of our crypto content. Other than my, uh, I, please subscribe to Patreon and also Patreon. I swear to you, I'm getting you those tokens. As soon as I get my, now that I have my engine private keys, I just realized I had the wrong private keys. I need to get my MetaMask keys. As soon as my dad's recovered to the point where I think he can get up and walk over there, we're good. It was the surgery on his, like, uh, he he tore his rotator cuff and something to do with his bicep. Anyway, he gets about one surgery a year, so it's not even, like, scary. All right, so let's talk about, there was a massive cheating scandal in poker. That was that was kind of handled like the first guy who took the reins on this was a podcaster. His name was Joey Ingram. And then Doug Polk is good friends with him. So Doug Polk also put a lot of videos out on this. It's really cool. So they're they're decently accessible to a non professional poker player. Like you can watch Doug's videos and understand what he's talking about, even if you don't play poker as a profession. It'll be really hard to watch them and understand them if you don't play poker at all. And they won't make a ton of sense. But what you can do is you can watch the segment that was on ESPN about it. 
that was uh Scott Van Scott Pelt, right? Van Pelt. Yeah, he he really did a fantastic job of summarizing it while shouting out a few of the big like you've shouted out Joey Ingram, who's a big YouTuber slash like uh poker player. I mean he's a big poker player who's you know created a following in there. So it's pretty cool. I think that he did a really good job of highlighting all the crazy scandal, like this crazy scandal going on. And I would definitely check. It's like about three minutes long. It's an easy watch. Yeah. He, he, he did a good job of it. Here's the quick version. So it's not, if we were telling you that there was some cheating going on online, that wouldn't be all that surprising because there has been cheating online before. There's always a wonder if the software that you're working on is secure or somebody has been able to hack it. And that's happened in the past plenty of times. There's bots. You don't even know if you're playing as humans when you're playing online poker. But there is a very big surprise that something happened in a live poker session because that's a lot harder to do. So, look, obviously everybody's innocent until proven guilty. But my personal opinion is this guy cheated. And there is tons and tons of evidence. So what happened is this guy was playing on a live stream. And in the po- in poker, the live streams are delayed 30 minutes so that if you were playing at the table, you couldn't get somebody's whole card information uh, and use it during a hand. You can use it later. So you can look and see what people used to have on the later stream or uh, later in the stream. So you can see if you got bluffed or something like that, but nothing live. And th- but it's being recorded. Like, so obviously it, the, the recording, the physical getting that information exists. And it is real and there and data somewhere that can be gotten. So what happened is this guy was making plays that are basically impossible. He was always making the correct decisions on spots where you either fold or call. Like those decisions were always right. And they were right in a like a super weird way. So when we talk about red flags and we're talking about like crypto scams and stuff, this guy was throwing up red flags left and right. And if you see one of them here and there, you can attribute it to a mistake or you can contribute it or attribute it to getting lucky. But once they started to pile up here, there, here, there, here, there, everywhere, once all of those red flag came, red flags came together. Now, all of a sudden you have. All right. So when you're, when you're playing at a poker table in the live stream, the cards that they have in the live stream have an RFID chip in them. And they deal those cards and on the table, you have to move them to a certain spot on the table so that it reads the card. So you could see what they are on the software that's streaming live. Like you can see them right away. It wasn't always the case. There used to be these like cameras that you would have to pick up your cards and show them to the camera. That's how poker kind of started on TV and started the poker boom. And then we basically graduated. We started making the technology easier and easier for streaming. But at the same time, possibly in a situation where it could be less and less secure. What's happening is this guy is, it looks like he's somehow gotten the information, uh, these cards. Now the specific way that he gets them is up in the air. We don't know, but what we do see in these videos is that this guy is always looking at his dick. So he's looking in his crotch. It looks like he puts his phone down there and that's where he's getting a lot of the information. He also has this weird bulge in his hat, which is very likely to be some sort of audio device that he has hidden so that he can, it looks like he can listen to and watch the stream basically. And uh, my theory, my own personal theory based on what I've seen a million times and what I've done on Twitch broadcasting is that he has access to the creator studio in some way. So I think that he 
can see the stream either because he had a key logger on the guy's computer or he's working with the guy who runs the stream. And that's why it's so hard for him to look at it because when you're in the creator studio on Twitch, your actual stream part is very small. So seeing your own stream is tough. So he's doing that and he, it takes him a while to kind of come up with the information and in, or he may have the stream key and he's able to put that stream key into something else so that he's getting the stream key live even though Twitch will broadcast on a 30 minute delay, the stream key piece is the live piece. And it's like a public and private key situation in crypto. It's the same. The stream key, you regenerate them all the time, especially if you think that somebody else might have compromised it. Back in the day, there was this website called Ultimate Bet, that, or I'm sorry, not Ultimate, uh, Absolute Poker. They were kind of the same, but the Absolute Poker, where this guy ended up cheating because he could see everybody's whole cards because of a flaw in the programming. And the way that the poker community figured it out was they plotted the win rates of everybody on the entire site and they've created a graph. I do want to say that the poker community is a very unique kind of oddball one. But if there is something weird going on, they are they're ultimately as like a hive mind, they're extremely intelligent. It is really hard to put any like they yeah, obviously you can get like stuff by for a bit, but eventually they're going to figure it out. And there were people, you know, back then who, yeah, I mean, this is a, this was honest, like 13 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, I'd say, I think it was maybe 2006, maybe it was 2008. Regardless, it was at least a decade ago. Um, I actually was on ultimate bet, uh, as a sponsored pro. Um, yeah, obviously you got pretty fucked on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I got when they went, insolvent after black friday after all the money like i lost a bunch of money on that i mean granted you know it I probably it, it's i was just you know i think if i would go back i probably would not have been an ultimate pro but it is what it is but they basically they did they yeah and they had to do this on like an old forum and they found out so basically in poker there's a certain attainable win rate that you can achieve if you're playing maybe optimal, well, yeah, GTO, game theory optimal. And yeah, obviously you can make like certain live reads sometimes, but there are certain spots in hands where like, let's say you have pocket Kings and then someone has aces, you know, two best hands in poker and you have like 50 big blinds or something. There isn't enough room for you to possibly know that he either has aces or has queens. And if he has queens or aces, or sorry, aces, queens, or ace king, you know, like, so there's a situation where it's like, you're gonna get it in and you're just gonna have to hope that you get lucky with the five cards running out. Yes. So, yeah, I was just saying that there's a lot of spots where it's like, you can't avoid that. So if you're yep. avoiding shit like that in more complicated spots post flop, where you just are, I think there was a hand where he like raised the river with, uh, ace high and then someone ended up here like calling him with a better ace high because but but he saw that the guy had a worse a better a better ace high and then the guy still soul read him and called him like and actually he lost the pot right i think yeah so so the guy he's just making correct decisions too too often but the the graph that i was that i was getting into there before he went on the ultimate bet tangent and they, so they had a graph and the way they figured out this guy was cheating was there was a graph of like all the different dots of all the different players, including the winning players, all bunched together. Then there was this one dot all the way up into the right. 
that just shouldn't exist. It was way too far outside of the realm of being a statistical anomaly because the statistical anomalies were already accounted for within the cloud. So there was this cloud of dots with a few dots around the outside that were the anomalies. And this guy was all the way up and to the right. And it was not possible that that guy existed. His name was Pot Ripper. And that's how they started to figure out that he had to have been cheating somehow. Then this guy, this, this Mike Postle moron, is even further up and to the right than Pot Ripper. So the guy who was cheating online for a long time, this guy is doing it even better. So maybe he had more of an understanding of poker or maybe like he's just being more brazen about it or something, but he's even more of a winner than the the last guy that everybody caught looking at whole cards. It's insane. I actually met this guy one time. I didn't, I forgot he was on a cruise with me and uh, for like an Annie up cruise. I, I write for a magazine called Annie up and he was on a cruise with me. He's actually a nice guy. I liked him. We hung out, we drank. It was fun. And I forgot because I was Facebook friends with them when I started talking about it. And then somebody like messaged me. It's like, hey, you're Facebook friends with this guy. I'm like, wait, what? And then I tagged him and he immediately blocked me. So so I'm no longer Facebook friends with that guy. But uh, so, yeah, the end result is this guy probably can see his opponent's whole cards in some fashion. Now, either he has a way to read the RFID or he has a device that can uh, communicate the information to him or he has somebody working with him. But uh, or there is a there is a, t- a possibility that would be like somebody getting struck by lightning the same five five times in the same place that he's actually just really getting lucky because he's not good. Here's the thing. Now, back then, I, when I played with him, it was a long time ago. I was on a cruise. I remember thinking, dude was nice. I want to be nice to him because he sucked at poker and I wanted him to be in the games and like enjoy the games more. I listened to an interview with this guy and he doesn't talk about poker as if he understands it. So it'd be like listening to somebody talk about blockchain and they would say, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Blockchain is a scam. Like, you know that they don't understand what they're talking about because it wouldn't make sense. So it, he says a lot of things that make it clear that he is not a good poker player. He might be a winning poker player in low stakes. You don't have to be a good or a great poker player to win at low stakes. But he isn't. He doesn't talk about the game in a way that his brain understands it correctly. He says things like, I'm a master at making live reads, like I'll just read your soul and all this stuff. So he considers himself the best player of all time, but he has no grasp of actual game theory, optimal play and how to do it. So the amount of luck that would be involved in this guy getting to this win rate is impossible. Yeah. And, uh, we're gonna see uh, now. There's legal proceedings that are kind of gonna pop up, uh, and hopefully the people that he took the money from get paid back. Uh, hopefully that the Stones Poker Room. I'm not really sure, you know, how it works in NorCal. You know, is I don't think Stones is a casino. I think it's just a poker room. Um, uh, I don't know how they do casinos in California. I feel like they had to do some sort of weird charity thing. I don't really know. Um, but yeah, Stones Casino is where this is happening. This is all reported, be, by the way, gambl- by uh, it's a gambling hall. Stone gambling, gambling hall. Okay. This is all reported by a whistleblower, which is pretty cool. Uh, her name was Veronica, and she was a commentator, right? And she was seeing this happen, and she's like, "This is this can't be real." Yeah, I agree. Sorry. Wow, this actually seems like something fun that I'd want to open. A poker saloon. Ooh. Ooh. So yeah, so she was like, she was doing these comments, she was doing this commentating, and she's like, this can't, this can't be real. This can't be a thing. She said this guy's cheating, 
and got completely shit on by everybody. Yeah, and then uh, now she's gone on uh, Joey Ingram's podcast and uh, just kind of talked it over. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be tough when you decide you're going to do something and then people just are completely like you just become targeted and become pretty much like you just post this one thing and now you're just in this massive situation and people are coming at you left and right because you're just trying to get the truth out there. Yeah, so so she was definitely attacked by the different members of the of the Stones poker community, of the Stones poker management, and uh they they've swept her under the rug. Luckily, this was taken up by the poker community after more things. It's kind of weird. This guy, this guy Mike, the guy that was cheating, that there's this whole like thing that they built around him being a god. They, they, he he they're trying to make this like Mike's show almost they're talking about how good he is at poker how he's going to get away from all these hands how he's going to make all these bluffs and every time they talk about him they talk about him in this weird scenario where he's just like the best player on planet earth no other stream is like that so there's there's questions about who's involved who isn't involved like what people would possibly do there's a hilarious interview with his brother where his brother talks about how he's been an angle shooter his whole life and he takes every angle that he can possibly get. There are, if this sounds interesting to you, if you want to learn about how this poker cheating happened, why it happened and what went down, there are hundreds of hours of consumable content out there. Now, Joey Ingram did at least 40 hours himself of live stream watching this guy's hands live and just commentating on them as they happen. Now, he's a little over the top. He's always like, oh, this guy's a fucking god. He's the best poker I've ever seen. He's ridiculous. I wish he'd kind of not done that because it it takes away a little bit of his credibility from somebody who doesn't understand that he's just trolling. But Doug does like a few 30-minute videos where he breaks it down pretty well, starting with his first one. So if this is interesting to you, go check that out again. We didn't want to spend too much of the crypto pod on this, but so many people had asked me that I felt like I wanted to talk about it. So uh I'll have links in the discord if you want to, if you want to do it. And maybe in the future, if people actually want to see us talk about this, like, I don't see why, but tweet us or something, let us know. And we'll, I don't know. We'll like do a, we'll do a one of like non crypto podcast or something like that. We'll, we'll, we'll start poker basic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not a bad idea. So I think uh, we've definitely given probably 20 minutes to this little segment. Really interesting. Watch the Scott Van Pelt video. And then if you want, check out some Joey Ingram stuff. He goes way in depth. Scott Van Pelt does a good job of summarizing it. Yeah, Scott Van Pelt's biggest. Here's the big thing. I'll I'll say one more thing. Scott's thing at the end is this guy is only playing basically the lowest stakes poker he can play. He's playing 1-3 no limit. He's playing 2-5 no limit. He's playing a little bit of 5-10 no limit, depending on what's on the stream. And Scott's saying, if you were this good, if you can make these perfect decisions all the time, then why are you playing in the minor leagues? Like what he he's using it from a sports analogy. He's just like, if you're the best baseball player to ever play, why are you playing in the minor leagues? Why are you not in the majors? Why are you not in Vegas beating the biggest games on the biggest stage for the for the most amount of money? And it is a absolute logical question. Mike tries to answer it by saying, oh, I've got a family. I have to live here. No, all you would have to do is travel to Vegas one day at a time and make enough money because this guy made $300,000 playing in or more or less, depending on which spreadsheet you're looking at, playing in a game that if you were the best player in the world, you should probably make like $50,000, $60,000 in that same time period. If you were the best player in the world, he 6x that. So that's how crazy this is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Check it out if you want to learn about it. It is it's a rabbit hole that so many of my friends have gone down that don't play poker 
that I thought it would be interesting, especially for the parts of our community that do intersect. And uh, I also wrote my Annie Up column for November. It won't be out until November 1st, but I wrote it about how to look and how to see if you're cheating. And I focus a lot on the red flags. I'm just like, look, red flags together in aggregate mean something. Even if this guy's a nice guy, like if he's done 50 different plays that you've watched that are red flags, it's time to start thinking that there might be something wrong here. And Nassim Taleb talked about this in one of his books where there's two types of people. There's the type of person that uh, sees a chart where somebody's flipped the coin a hundred times and the coin has come up heads 89 of those times or 90 of those times. And he says, well, it's just variance. It'll work itself out once we flip the coin 10,000 times. And there's another person that says, hold on, this coin has been flipped a hundred times and it's come out heads 89 times or whatever I said. That is, that's too much. There's something wrong with the coin. And neither one does enough research into the other's position. They both immediately think that they're correct. And sometimes the answer is in the middle. But really, if you're if you're person A, don't always just assume things are going to work out in the end and give them a little look when they look a little bit weird. And if you're person B, don't always assume that everything's a scam just because it's it's being a statistical anomaly. Yeah. All right. That's it. That's it for the show. I think uh, I think we did. I think we did a good job. It's a long show. Yeah, I agree. We are not financial advisors. We are just uh, two idiots just trying to keep it very basic for all y'all out there. Until next week, see you guys later. All right. Peace. See ya.